0: God of the new. New is one of those things that doesn't last forever. Uh, something can be new only for a little while before it's no longer new anymore. Now Time has a way of making bright things a little bit dimmer, functioning things a little more dysfunctional. And we can spend a lot of time trying to make new stick around for as long as possible Uh, question for you guys did you ever have that room in your house growing up or maybe even now uh, that was for company only right it's where all the nice stuff was in your house and you weren't allowed to go in there you weren't allowed to use that living room uh, because we wanted to keep it new as long as possible i never understood that room i think if you have a couch it's designed to be sat in and you should take advantage of that and some people go to even great lengths to protect things like couches like have you ever seen a couch with plastic on it right grandma's used to do this they're 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 the ones and they wanted to protect that couch from spills and dust and use And what ends up happening is you kind of make it stay new for a little bit longer, but nobody ever gets to sit on it. We can end up spending a lot of time trying to keep new things to stay new, trying to prevent the inevitable. Uh, Not everyone though. Uh, there is a story about a guy here in town who uh, this story is disputed, Uh, the facts of this story are disputed so I'll put that out there right now we'll leave it anonymous Uh, but this person that I know got a brand new F-350 white pickup truck Uh, a gorgeous truck the kind of truck that you could pick my minivan up and put in the back of you know the kind of pickup truck that eats minivans for breakfast uh, this gorgeous truck, and, uh, and, and he didn't put plastic on the seats, you know, like Grandma would, and he didn't stress about it looking new. Uh, in his line of work, he knew that the truck was eventually going to get scratches and get beat up a little bit. So instead of worrying about damage, instead of worrying about that new first scratch, he took the brand new keys to his brand new truck, and he put a brand new scrape in the side of it, on purpose. Now, crazy, right? But also really, really wise. New things can't stay new forever, and we can put a lot of energy into trying to keep them new, but colors fade, metal rusts, and time waits for no one. When God created us, when he placed the stars in the sky, and when He laid out the rivers through the mountains, and when He breathed life into our lungs for the very first time, everything was new. Everything was perfect. But then some stuff happened, and we got our first scratch, and we ended up turning from God. And things like sin and sorrow found their ways into the fabric of humanity. And what was once new didn't look so new anymore. Our relationship with our Creator got quite complicated. And our relationships with each other got even more difficult. And what once functioned perfectly gradually became more and more dysfunctional. And you guys know it, okay? We are all a little bit dysfunctional. Some of us more than others. Look at you, Chris. The front row, we're all a little bit dysfunctional. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of dysfunctional. We're going to be talking about what it means to maybe return back to the way that God created us. We're going to talk about what is preventing us from having families that are thriving? What is preventing us from having healthy relationships? And over the next few weeks, hopefully discover that maybe, just maybe, somehow God can make us new again. I truly believe that the best way to have healthy relationships and to have a thriving, healthy family is to have a healthy you. And so today, before, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about families and relationships with siblings and relationships with kids and people all around you. We're going to look at all those things over the next few weeks, but today we're going to talk about our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with God. And talk about how maybe God turned towards us and how we can turn towards Him. Okay, here's a question. Have you ever had a problem that was so big you didn't even know where to begin trying to solve it? Right? We've been there. Have you ever had a mess that was so ridiculous that you didn't even know how to begin cleaning it up? This is has happened to me. On the third day of the Horse River fire, um, I was, uh, instead of going out on the fire truck that day, I was assigned to an ambulance, which meant I had to stay back in the fire hall while everybody went out on the fire truck. And uh, and we, by that time, it was three days in, and we had run out of most of our medical supplies. And so I uh, took the ambulance, and I drove to one of our satellite fire halls, deep bank fire hall, uh, where nobody had been for three days, and I was going there to get more supplies. And as I pulled up to the fire hall, I noticed um, the very obvious uh, gushing of water out the front door, out the seam of the front door. Uh, It turns out that three days prior, when whoever was there last rushed out of the building, they had left water running. And it had ran for three days, and it had overfilled the septic tank, and there was a foot of water on the main floor of the whole fire hall. So, on the third day of the Horse River Fire, when my colleagues were heroically battling the blaze, and protecting our city, I was squeegeeing poop water out of the fire hall. It was disgusting, you guys. It was a huge mess and I didn't know where to start. All I knew was that I had to put on my rubber boots and I had to wade in to the mess. A lot of the problems that we have in our lives, a lot of the problems that we see in our world can feel way too big and way too messy for us to even know where to start. There is so much hurt out there. There are wars and there are shootings and there's every kind of problem that you can imagine in the world. And And I think that's how God felt just over 2000 years ago when he was looking down on the earth and he decided to do something about it he saw that we were in a full-on disaster mode that we were becoming so dysfunctional that we were ruining the planet and each other and things were just not going the way he had hoped and it's when he decided to act and we've been talking about it for several weeks now it's the story of christmas God became man. He gave up all the privileges and all the benefits of what it meant to be God. And he entered the world as a baby son, born into a muddy manger. And the Creator joined his creation. He didn't turn away from us. He didn't hit the reset button like he could have. He didn't throw it all away and start over. Instead, God put his rubber boots on. And he waded into the mess with us. Apostle Paul used words that are a little more poetic than that when he said of Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God became man to address the dysfunction of man himself. This is such a beautiful part and a powerful part of the story of Christmas. He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant and he took on our humanness. It can be easy to forget this, uh, to feel like God is actually on some far off star that he's perched on a cosmic throne somewhere. But the truth is he is not out there. God is right here now in this place with us. And and this is a hard thing for many people to accept. I don't know if you've ever invited a person to church, or maybe this is even you, and, and and they say, well, I'd go to church, but I would burst into flames at the front door. People think the things that we have done, the lives we have led, have made God angry at us, have disqualified us from things like faith. We get messages on our social media all the time from people saying, am I even allowed to come to your church? Is there any special requirements? Do I have to do anything first? People don't understand that this place is open and for everyone. And people avoid faith, avoid having faith, avoid going to church because they think that they are beyond repair. Like they've gone too far for too long. When really, for those of us who are here, I think we have discovered That it is in our mess, in our mistakes, where Jesus shines most brightly. And Jesus is not thrown off by our mess. Matthew was a guy who uh, followed and worked with Jesus very closely uh, through Jesus' years of ministry. And he saw all the things Jesus did, all the miracles, all the teachings, and he wrote down uh, parts of it. And 2,000 years later, we're able to know what Jesus did and said because of guys like Matthew who wrote it down. And Matthew tells us about a very simple miracle that Jesus performed, a very regular miracle that Jesus would perform. He tells us about a man with leprosy, uh, which is a skin disease, and at the time leprosy was a life sentence for people. No one would go near people with leprosy for fear of catching it themselves. And, and in fact, there was all kinds of rules and laws for people to avoid people with leprosy. Um, if you were a Jew uh, or if you were a rabbi, you were not even allowed to touch a person with leprosy if you were a person with leprosy and you were walking through a town or traveling from place to place you had to scream it out at the top of your lungs so everyone knew how dirty and unclean you were and wouldn't come anywhere near you these people were untouchable and matthew tells us that this sick man with leprosy came to jesus and he said lord if you are willing you can make me clean And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately he was cleaned, cleansed of his leprosy. And it only took Matthew three sentences to describe this miracle. And then he went on to a different subject. And I think if we read this too fast, if we skim it too quickly, I think we end up missing the very best part of this three-line story. This sick man, There's no way for us to know how long it had been since he had felt the touch of another human being. Since the day he became sick, people avoided him. Since the day he became sick, kids were scared of him. Since the day he became sick, no one would touch him. He was separated from his family, from his loved ones, from his friends. He was utterly alone. And here's the real miracle in this story. Matthew tells us that Jesus, with everyone looking on, with everyone knowing the rules and the customs and the laws, everyone standing there, Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched him. He didn't just heal him, he touched him. And in that moment, I think the actions of Jesus speak much louder than words. He's saying nothing you can do can disqualify you. For my love. No mistake you've made can keep you from coming to me, and no mess you've made, and no amount of uncleanness will stop me from reaching into your life and grabbing hold of your heart. The story of Christmas, the story of Jesus coming to the world as a man, it is the story of Jesus turning towards us. And so what about us? What should be our response? The English language is uh, crazy, Um, as many of you know. It's very easy to miscommunicate using words. Uh, Words can have multiple meanings, and those meanings can change based on the tone of your voice, and they can even change based on your body language, and so depending on um, who you're talking to and what they're saying, it's very easy to miscommunicate with each other. Um, My doctor, my family physician, is actually a family friend, and she's been my friend for far longer than she has been my doctor. As a side note, she's also a Catholic nun, so she's a nun doctor. Which is kind of crazy, and uh, makes for very interesting conversations. And she was always telling us that I, I, we should, I should be her patient. Our family should be be go to her practice. And I always held out for a long time because you know some medical things are embarrassing, and I didn't really want uh, a doctor nun family friend, you know, to know all of my embarrassing medical stuff. And uh, but finally, we gave him. And uh, then it happened. Uh, Two years ago, uh, I had to go see um, my doctor, friend, nun, and uh, I had uh, gotten a hernia from lifting a stretcher at work. And it was quite painful, and so she was doing a medical history in her office, and um, and then finally she, she asked all the questions, and finally she said, okay, it's time, we've got to have a look. She turned around to type at her computer, and me thinking I knew what she meant, I pulled down my pants. Like all of it. Everything. And she turned around and she's she eyes went wide. She, Lucas, just your jeans. <laughs> oh guys. Let's just say flashing a nun was not one of my best days. In my in my defense, I, I really gravely misunderstood what she was telling me to do, and which is something, as we've discussed, the English language can happen sometimes. And one of the words that I think that we have come to misunderstand as people of faith and, and, and people in society and maybe the whole world has come to kind of misunderstand a word, and I think that word is repent. And growing up, I always thought repent meant to turn away from your sin, to turn away from the bad stuff in your life, to to walk away from your bad friends, to walk away from your mistakes, to, to turn away from sin. But the older I get, and the more I think about it, and the more I understand and try to understand repentance, the more I think that definition is missing something very important. I have come to believe that repentance... Isn't just about turning away from something. It's actually about turning towards something. Now, many of you know my seven year old son, Camille. Uh, He's the one who walks around on Sunday mornings telling you, uh, asking you why you haven't been at church for three or four weeks. He's very bold. He may make a good pastor one day with questions like that. Um, Camille joined our family on March 3rd, 2016. He was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and we adopted him. And he came home when he was four years old. And um, when he first came home, he didn't speak any English. Uh, And he had this love of music and dancing. And so in those first days where we could not communicate uh, really in any way, uh, we used dancing and music to talk to each other. It was our language that we had in common. Um, Those first two months of him being home and not speaking English were very, very difficult. Um, It is difficult for me to even remember how difficult they were because I have suppressed most of those negative memories. Um, He did not trust us. And of course, he didn't trust us. He didn't know us. We were strange to him. And those first few weeks were marked by moments of singing and dancing, and then totally contrasted with these incredibly dangerous fits of rage uh, where that would last up to 45 minutes. And uh, it was very difficult. This would happen two to three times a day for two months. And it was very difficult for us to communicate to him that he was safe with us, that we loved him, that there was food in the fridge and a bed, and that we weren't going anywhere. It was very difficult to communicate thus. And so my wife came up with a plan. She comes up with all the good plans. She's the smart one. Uh, each time he would throw these tantrums, and believe me, you guys, they, they were they were bad. Uh, we would pick him up, and we'd carry him to his room, and we'd sit him in our lap facing away from us, and he would scream and shout and kick, and he would bite, and he would spit, and he'd be sp- so upset these were gut wrenching I I can't even begin to describe how difficult this was for us and they last up to 45 minutes sometimes and eventually he'd get tired and exhausted and the kicking would slow down and the screaming would go away and then when it was over when it was quiet and it was just us breathing we'd turn him around in our lap We'd face him face to face. and We'd hug. And we'd just sit there together. We needed him to know that no matter how much he kicked and screamed, no matter how angry he was, no matter what he did when he was ready, that we would still be there with him. That we weren't going anywhere. This is how God works with us. You can kick and you can scream and you can spit in his face and you can cuss him out. You can doubt him and yell in his face that you don't even believe in him anymore. You can turn your back on him for years. But when you get tired and weary, when you can't do it anymore, and when you turn yourself around to face him, he's there waiting. Open arms, full of grace, and full of love. Repentance isn't just about turning away from your sin it isn't just about turning away from your mistakes and your screw up it's it's about turning towards a heavenly father it's about turning back towards your creator it's about turning towards all the blessings and the hope and the fullness of life that is found in our father's loving embrace Repent, it doesn't mean just turn away. It means to turn towards. What would people think if they thought our church wanted to give them something and not just take something from them? What would our city think about us if we were less concerned about their mistakes and their screw-ups and more concerned about them discovering their wholeness? for us to be more about who we are for and what we are for than what we are against. These are the words of Jesus. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and not just life, you guys, and have it to the full. It's not just turning away. It's turning towards fullness. Fullness. Jesus waded into the mess of this world so that you and I could experience life to the full. You don't need to leave church feeling bad about yourself. You don't need to leave this place feeling shame. You should come to church broken and leave a little bit more whole. You should come to church hopeless and leave with a little bit more hope, with a little bit more life. We're going to close the service this morning with communion and some worship. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up now. My little brother Jake uh, was over this past week and and we always get to talking stories uh, when when he's over. It's always so fun. And one of the things we talked about this week uh, was the movies that my dad let us watch when we were younger. Uh, Dad always let us watch movies with him, even when we were little kids. Uh, All of the classic World War II movies like Guns of Navarone, The Bridge on the River Kauai, uh, Where Eagles Dare. You know, some serious movies that maybe young kids shouldn't have been watching. And it's funny, he watched these movies so many times, you guys, that he knew where all the swear words were. And so every time there was a swear, he'd cough really loudly. You know, so we wouldn't hear the swear. So that's a parenting hack. That's a free tip for you today. Uh, you don't got to pay any money for that one. One of, the, one of the movies that we watched with my dad was uh, Saving Private Ryan with Tom Hanks. And many of you will have, know this story. It's based on a true, true story. And uh, eight soldiers uh, were sent deep into the European battlefields to rescue a guy named Private James Ryan. Uh, Private James Ryan's three brothers had all lost their lives in the war already. And so the army sent in this group to to pull out James Ryan because they, they wanted... Uh, his mother to not have lost all four of her sons and so they went in to get Private James Ryan and the movie follows these eight men as they fight their way across the battlefield to, to find him and rescue him and they are successful in their mission but at great cost many of them end up giving their lives to rescue him and one of the last scenes is of Captain Miller the, Tom Hanks the man who led the rescue mission he's on the ground dying And the man who led the rescue mission beckons uh, Private Ryan uh, to come over. And with his dying breath, he tells this boy that he's trying to rescue, he tells him, earn this. Earn what we sacrificed for you. Earn the deaths of my men who gave their lives only so that you could have yours. And then the movie cuts to Private James Ryan as this old man standing with his family at the grave of Captain Miller. And you could see in his eyes, this incredible, the actor does a great job. You see in his eyes this heavy burden that he's bore his whole life. His whole life trying to reconcile to the fact that these men gave their lives for him so that he could live. His whole life he's been trying to be worthy of their sacrifice, trying to earn it. And he looks his wife in the eyes and it's gut wrenched and he tells her, he asks her, begs her, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I earned it. And for many of us, I think this is how we understand God this is what faith is to us that Jesus became man he went to the cross for us and he died for us he bled and was broken for us and now we feel like we have to earn it like we have to live a life worthy of that sacrifice and while that is noble it is impossible thinking like that only places a burden on your shoulders that you can't possibly carry thinking like that sets you up to be disappointed every time you're reminded of how dysfunctional you actually are Jesus gave a stern warning to people like me people who preach and teach people who lead other people in faith He, he said something very serious he warned us and he said and you experts in the law woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them and guys when you leave here today I want you to leave with less burdens than what you walked in here with when you leave here today I want you to leave with less shame and less guilt and less doubt and less pain than what you walked in here with don't let me burden you today but I can't do those things for you and you can't do those things for you there is only one person who can do that for you. It's Jesus. In his own words, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God became man to rescue humanity. Jesus reached out to touch us touch you, even though we are untouchable. And he has invited us to cast our burdens upon him. Are you tired and broken? Turn to him. Are you kicking and screaming? Turn towards him. Have you given up hope? Turn to him. Do you feel lost? Turn to Him. Is your doubt overwhelming? You could turn to Him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we can stand here together in this room, that we can gather here in this place and know that none of us are untouchable. That all of us are welcome here. That no one has gone too far, gone. To, Done too many things, done the wrong thing too many times, and none of us have gone too far to be beyond your grace and your love and your loving touch. Jesus, today I pray for those of us in this room who are trying to carry the burdens of our lives, trying maybe even to carry the burden of our salvation, that you would help us to cast those burdens towards you, that we would take you up on your invitation. Come all ye weary. Press your holy face.